Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 201st episode of MDG Fast Finance, the podcast that enchants every pick we make with a little extra Nixie dust. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week, as always, is Travis Allen, aka at Wizard Bumpin, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, everybody. Good evening, James. How are you this balmy winter's eve? <clears throat> well, you know. <clears throat> as good as we can be, given that we've had a million fingers pointed us at us again today, because the internet decided that Hermit Druid got bought out, um, apparently on the back of quote-unquote insider info. Yeah, I don't quite understand the angle here, because where are you casting Hermit Druid? Like, who, what format is this relevant in? If this was a pioneer legal card that'd be one thing but, but lol there uh i mean it's it's not even legal in legacy right it's just vintage vintage and edh is, is it legal in edh i feel like it's busted. I, I mean it is but i it might be legal i can hear you clicking i assume you'll tell us yep looks like it's reported in 2300 decks or so that seems low i mean the card's good there for sure <coughs> Yeah, the problem with it being, like, it's good in EDH, but it's not fun. Like, that's a, you know, if you're playing with that card, it's doing a very specific job. And that's not going to be a, the type of EDH deck you play with because you're out to have fun. Yeah, it, it fills the graveyard so quickly if you want it to that it lets you just completely go off. So the first mm -hmm. activation can more or less end the game. Um but more to the point, I think people are just getting caught in the trap of trying to apply Occam's Razor. Because I've put my hand up in the past this year and mentioned each time that we knew something ahead of time, now it's just assumed that we know everything all the time, which is, of course, completely ridiculous. Um, we don't have any special insight into Theros Beyond Death this time around. Um, I had definitely heard rumors that it was an enchantment set, that there was gonna be some cool stuff that's about it i mean the i think i heard the name of the plane the green white planeswalker that they uh revealed today at one point <coughs> that was new information but most of the info that got leaked this time around was from that walgreens thing like two and a half months ago yeah where the guy claimed he bought packs at a random walgreens in north carolina and that's how everybody found out about elspeth but that's not when Hermit Druid took off. Hermit Druid took off after the Command Zone episode that featured it prominently in the first five minutes back in early December. And mm. if you track when copies of Hermit Druid started draining, it's right around then. Then that process continues, and then, you know, Escape has already been revealed as early as two months ago, and more and more Escape cards are being revealed through preview season, and more and more copies of Hermit Druid start to drain as people respond to various you know, combo potentials um, and synergies. Just because a card is drained out doesn't mean somebody bought it out. Like, a lot of the time, the market just buys one copy at a time. Like, multiple of our... It wasn't really a topic of conversation in our Discord either, <clears throat> although multiple members have reported <clears throat> selling one or two copies. 
<clears throat> in recent weeks. And, you know, somebody on Twitter put their hand up and said, I've sold like 10, but they've all been to 10 different addresses. Um, mm-hmm. Very, very likely that this is just a card that hasn't seen that many printings and had relatively shallow inventory. And you have a couple of different, you know, inflection points where demand uh, increases a bit and focuses everything right now in Magic. So it's that topic we've talked about in the past where Magic, the, the total size of the Magic card pool increases by 1,000 to 2,000 cards a year or whatever, and that goes on ad infinitum. And so the odds of anybody noticing any particular card get lower and lower as time goes on. So what you need for a card to take off that hasn't been printed in a while, if it's not showing up in one of the major formats as, as a staple, is for attention to be brought back upon it, which is exactly what likely happened here. What I find amusing about all of this is that even all of that, a correct and pretty much aside, even if you assume that we did know about the Oracle card, the, the, which is the reason behind Hermit Druid spiking, why would we buy Hermit Druids? Why would we look at that card and go, ooh, you know what's going to spike? <laughs> this Stronghold Rare... That's played in 100 decks in EDH, and the only competitive format it's legal in is Vintage. Uh, I mean, it's just... Well, it's, it, it's, it's more like 2000 doesn't follow. Decks. It's more like 2000 Sorry, 2000 But you're absolutely right, because the cards that we that we started talking about when the, um, <coughs> the new Lab Maniac dropped this morning, and it was news to all of us, if you look in the Discord, it's pretty obvious that nobody saw it coming. Um, was stuff like Lab Maniac and Jace, Wielder of Mysteries, and other cards that, that facilitate that. Hermit Druid was brought up, but so were lots of other things that leaned into those decks. Um, and, and it's not clear you know, how popular those strategies are overall. I mean, I'm still, still pretty high on Jace, Wielder of Mystery foils, uh, more than I would be on Hermit Druid at this point, given where it's already at. Yeah, I don't want to get involved with Hermitruid at all. It just seems like a terrible idea. But uh, we're we're chomping off segment one here, uh, not to give anything away. Um, what I will tell you guys is that I'm looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. And our show is produced by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up. <coughs> oh, me too today. Sign up today at MTGPrice.com to manage your collection Track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. Heading into 2020, the future. MTG Fast Finance is still proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering single sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Travis, what is our agenda in the future? Okay, so this week we have a show in four parts, just like all one hundred, all two hundred prior episodes. Second one, like the Hoopers. old days. Yep, 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 yep. Back in the, before the turn of the decade. Uh, segment one are top movers, the cards that have risen in price the most this week. Segment two, cards to watch. James and I will run through some cards for better or for worse that we think have some positive futures. 
Segment three, our metagame week in review. There was a SCG Team Modern Open. There's some PT Pioneer PTQ preliminaries. Um, we haven't quite gotten back into the competitive swing yet for this year, but that's uh, on the near horizon. And finally, segment four, our topic of the week. Uh, we'll be looking at some Theros spoilers. We have uh, all sorts of cards from Theros out and about, so we'll be running through those. We're also going to be doing... We're also going to be doing a special segment this week that will be recorded separately. Um, For the pro traders, they'll come out about a day apart. For the general public, you probably get them all at once, so watch for basically two episodes this week. The other biggest segment we're going to be doing is an interview with Drew Levin, who is currently a senior product manager at Zynga, which is a major gaming company uh, in the Bay Area, um, which I visited once upon a time while we were uh, out raising money for Shelf Life. Um, mm. He's also worked for Congregate. He was a game analyst at Rumble. He was a writer for Star City Games from 2011 to 2015 or so. He's a professional Magic player at various points in his gaming career and started out as, I think, an applied data scientist or something. Uh, Drew's a really smart guy, and the reason we're interviewing him is he wrote, uh, I think, one of the better magic uh, economy, magic state of play, magic finance uh, threads that I saw in all of 2019 back in December, and uh, we're going to bring him on to have a chat about what he was thinking when he was pulling that all together and get his thoughts on where magic's headed in 2020. Drew's a really smart guy. Um, we've had a couple conversations on Twitter in the past, so I'm looking forward to getting a chance to have uh, have some conversations there. Um, but let's uh, let's move along here. Uh, get ourselves started. Segment one, our top movers. First card on the list is Walking Ballista out of Aether Revolt non-foils. 20 to 30 for an okay little pickup, about 50%. This is on the back of Heliod combo. Uh, so for those of you keeping score at home, Wizards of the Coast got um, six weeks, seven weeks into Pioneer before they introduced a two-card win-the-game combo that is also <laughs> fairly potent looking. The idea here being that uh, walking Ballista, you can remove counters to shoot stuff. Heliod, Heliod, the new Heliod, you can pay two mana to give something lifelink, and then when it deals damage, it gets counters. So um, Walking Ballista and Heliod will be an, an infinite damage combo. Uh, so you can't, like, you can't tutor Walking Ballista in. Like, you have to, you know, essentially pay the iron price and cast the card, but you still have a pretty, uh, a pretty powerful combo there. Both halves of that combo are going to be functional on their own. So this is definitely the start of what I imagine is going to be some sort of um, Court of Calling-esque, like Green-White Value Town-esque build in Pioneer, where you have a deck that does things and plays creatures and beats people up and is fine enough. And then occasionally you just cast both of these cards into the table at the same time and your opponent loses the game on the spot. Um, I think it's probably very legitimate. It is likely worse than the Sahili cat combo, but the Sahili cat combo is banned. So there's definitely room for this combo to be very good. Uh, and frankly, $30 for walking blisters could end up being on the low side but we'll need to see if this really is going to get the job done or not. I guess, I mean, if you're paying probably twenty or thirty dollars for Heliads out of the recent standard set, like maybe Walking Ballista isn't really breaking much over thirty, like thirty-five or forty, maybe, and that's if it's clear top tier pioneer. Um, I don't know. What's your? I think that I think it looks. It's probably quite potent. What's your read? Assuming this is like tier one pioneer, what do you think? the ceiling on walking ballista is 
Yeah, I think it's tricky past 50. So 30 to 50 is significantly riskier than when we were telling people to buy walking ballistas when they were at their low a while back, um, when they weren't doing that much in modern. Here's the thing. This is a format that's structured around eight mana elves. And so, and one of these cards requires one white, and the other one requires colorless. So you can easily be playing green-white and accelerating a turn faster than you otherwise would have into this. Doesn't require colorless, is colorless. Right. Um, So the other thing is, just as we started recording, another uh, preview card dropped. This is called Destiny Weaver. One and a green for a 2-3. Creature and enchantment spells you control can't be countered. And it has a second ability that it doesn't need. Three and a green. Target land you control becomes an XX elemental creature with haste and trample until end of turn, where X is the number of enchantments you control. It's still a land. Uh, In a world of Teferis and blue-white control being pretty good in Pioneer... A enchantment creature that can prevent people from countering this combo seems like it might slot in. Boy, that must have just come out because I don't even see it on yeah. my Twitter feed. Yeah, it's called Destiny um, Weaver. If you check uh, recent Goldfish or Star City Games tweets, you'll see it. Hmm, okay, I will look that up. Yeah, I we're clearly set up for something here. Um, so maybe maybe the pickup. The pickup isn't is not walking blister, right? We're already past that being the pickup. The question is just whether you hold on any longer. But uh, the the question is, what else is going to be in that deck? I buy listed some like thirteen dollar walking ballistas today for like twenty four credit. Held back some to sell retail. Um, (laughs) Now that it's pushing (coughs) thirty, and the thing about walking ballista is it doesn't need this combo to be good in the format. It's a modern pioneer staple, regardless, just because it's a very strong card. And it being colorless and wizard's obsession with plus one plus one counters means that it will continue to trip over itself for, you know, eons to come. Mm-hmm. So definitely some something there. Definitely something there. Uh follow up to that. Uh also Pioneer. World Breakers. Uh out of Oath of the Gatewatch, non foils as well, four to six for about a fifty percent pickup. Um, I actually wrote about these in the Watchtower series, I don't know, two, three, four weeks ago. Uh, basically this, I, I think I talked about foils, but the non-foils aren't bad either. But we're, so we're seeing green ramp in Pioneer, um, the removal of like so many green cards, I can't even keep track of them at this point, hasn't slowed green down in the format, it just keeps changing shapes. And lately they have been playing uh, a ramp build. Uh, I think they have like those monkeys where you put the extra land in the play. They're using Shrine of U- Shrine of Ugin and, and a Shrine of the Forsaken. I refuse to look at the – yeah, Shrine of the Forsaken Gods. I refuse to actually look at a list to tell you guys what the cards are. I have to do this all out of my head. But it's a green ramp deck and Worldbreaker is one of the payoffs, um, which was quite a competent card back in Standard when that was a thing. Uh, and it's showing up here again in Pioneer. So World Breakers, I'm probably okay hanging on a little bit longer with here because I yeah. think it's we're probably not really going to see the card for quite some time. I'm not clear where we, they would put it. I mean, they put it in an ancillary product, right? 
but it seems like there's still some meat on the bone on this one. So I'm not a buyer at five or six bucks, but I'm not eager to sell either. Worldbreaker has broken into the top 50 Pioneer cards on Magic Online. Whether it can hold that slot, uh, I don't have a supreme amount of confidence because there's a bunch of different ways to handle your ramp with green. So there's a lot of competition in that like four, five, six, seven plus mana slot in the format. A lot more than there is in, say, the good good kill spells slot. So if I see an opportunity to get off here on, on yet another card for Pioneer that was sitting in my box of shame, then I will happily dismount. I was making fun of myself on Twitter yesterday because I had a pile of $12 foils of Worldbreaker, and I suspect the foils are, as they usually do, going to get there a little sooner than the non-foils. So if I get a chance to off-ramp those anywhere near 20, I'm all about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would think of this as like a soft sell. Like, I'm not fire-sailing these. I'm not desperate to get rid of them because I think it's going to crater. But I also don't feel the need to hoard them, expecting them to hit $20 or anything. Yeah. Next on the list, we got Cavalier of Thorns out of Core 2020, non-foils going from 5 to 750. This is on the back of the implied synergies with uh, Umo, I believe he's called. The ridiculous-looking giant that was revealed this week. Uh, no, Uro, sorry, not Uro, Umo. Uro, Titan of Nature's Wrath, has one green-blue for a 6-6, but when he enters the battlefield, sacrifice it unless it escaped. So basically, the first time you just get his enter-the-battlefield abilities, which happen to be pretty sweet, when he enters the battlefield or attacks, you gain three life and draw a card, then you may put a land from your hand onto the battlefield. I mean, this is essentially a better Crows and Tusker with upside. It's ridiculous. The escape is double green, double blue. Exile five cards. Five isn't a tremendous amount, especially when you can leverage things like Seder Wayfinder, etc. Uh, I think this card's going to do some work, and it's a mythic. So I, I, I expect I'll be... this. I think this is one of the top five cards in the set, and I expect I will be targeting extended arts if I see them cheap. Ca- yeah, Cavalier of Thorns... Like, I'm selling at eight bucks, right? Like, we have a last summer mythic that just got a spike. It was already seen play in Pioneer and Standard, so it gets a little jump here. I'm selling it, right? Like, that's if I have any, I'm getting rid of them. Uh, And I should have some because I told people to buy them also like two or three weeks ago. Might have even been the same article as World Breaker, uh, but I can't find any, so I guess I forgot to. (laughs) Bro, by the way, is disgusting. That card is so good. So you pay for three mana, you gain three life, draw a card. Okay, so if you're playing, three mana should draw you two cards, right? Like divination is draw two cards. So we're paying one green blue to draw one card and gain three life instead. Gain three life is probably worse than draw a card, um, but not by too much. We are in two colors of mana, which makes it a little more awkward. So just a three mana spell, draw a card, gain three life is like below rate, but not that far behind. Now you tack on, you get to play an extra land a turn. Okay, Explorer was two mana, and that was draw a card, put a land in the play, and that definitely saw play in standard. So really, you're ba- you're getting three life for the cost of one blue mana, which is fine as well because it's tacked onto the card. And that's, if this is a sorcery, not you also get a death trigger, which you're probably happy about. Um, and you can even sacrifice, if I, if I remember this correctly, you can sacrifice Uro no. if you have any onboards. Yeah, because it's when he comes into play, sacrifice him. So you put him in the play, 
the sack of the, the his trigger oh, goes sure, on the sure, stack, sure. right? Yeah, yeah. So, so like you can cat s- oven or something. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have to have like greater good or something along those lines in play. But you can get paid for that. And if you have any other death triggers, he triggers that. But then like the entire escape half of this card is virtually free. And it's a really good free effect. And what is it, a 6-6? Six, six? And once it's in play and attacking, you're getting that that trigger every time? Oh, my God. Uro is so good. And I had the exact same thought you apparently did, which is the extended art foils. Because if memory serves me, I believe our takeaway from the collector, the uh, Aldrain collector's boosters review was that the the showcase foil mythics were the rarest of the bunch, but the extended art foil mythics were just behind it, right? Because I remember like talking about Great Henge and stuff like that being really what you wanted to look at. I have to go back and check my math, but yeah, they're very rare. Um, I think extended art foil mythics, because they're only in collector boosters, are, were in, in the final shakeout of the math. I think they're actually the most rare. Um here's what I want to happen here. This is already pretty expensive. Like, copies are were going for quite a lot when they were dropped uh, on the market today. Um, very few people got access to them cheap on Star City Games and CK before the price got bumped up. Um, I think it's going to be pricey coming out of the gate. I don't think this is when you want to buy it. What you want to happen is that it fails out the gate. Nobody pulls it together in a list where it does anything. And it becomes a card that gets activated later. That would be fantastic. Because fantastic mythics that don't hit it first are right where you want to be. So I, I think it's going to be tricky. Like we'll probably get a shot at these in a Theros Beyond Death singles group buy through the Protator Discord. Um, and the price will be good. Like it'll be better than market by 15-20% or something. But that's not enough to really get me super excited. So you might end up needing to figure out the other cards that are going to go alongside it if you really want to benefit from it. Uh, I, I have the issue. I have the issue of not knowing exactly how to profit on this because it's not like I'm the only one that thinks it's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think you know, as a Magic player, Uro is disgusting. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll, and, talk, we'll talk about more about some previews as we get to segment four here. Cavalier of Thorns, by the way, is buy listing for five bucks cash, six fifty credit. Seems very very fine. That's more than a double up for the people that. Bought them in our group buy uh, late summer. So that's less than six months uh, for a double up buy list. That's fine. Uh, Next on our list, we've got Forbidden Orchard. This is the Masterpiece series version, the Expedition, um, going from about 38 to 66. I'm certainly happy to see this happen because I think I have three or four copies of this lying around somewhere um, that were bought down in, in and around 25 or 30 in Europe. Uh, it's like a 9,000 EDH decks on EDH rec. Um, very popular card there. There's all sorts of shenanigans you can you can pull with it. You can use it as a bargaining tool. <coughs> you can do nasty things with it. So, um, I mean, Expeditions are five years old now. So um, the ones that are in high demand are just going to keep draining if they weren't already expensive. Yeah, I would love to see the uh, masterpieces, the Expeditions uh, start doing some work here uh, mostly because i've got got a couple and i would like to see some real returns on those i mean the, one, the ones like polluted devils whatever started expensive got cheaper later then got expensive again and once something is two or three hundred dollars it's really hard for it to move much further 
But if you've got mm-hmm. an expedition that has no point of resupply, relatively shallow supply, and it's sitting under $100, and it's popular, then you have a recipe for gains. Yeah. 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 Some of those were definitely... There's more meat on the bone for some of those than others. I'll let you uh, ring ring your bell here on this next one. Oh, that feels the worst. Uh, I like people doing it for me. This is uh, Goblin Rabble Master. The buy a box promos looks like they uh, they jumped from four and change four fifty to eight fifty for almost a double up. I picked this one episode ago. It looks like I called it at three fifty to nine. Um, so pretty Boo, insider much- trading. Yeah, yeah, pretty much you right knew, along. You knew the red decks expected. were going to be good because the data said so. <laughs> so uh, if you bought them and you can get eight fifty or nine dollars, now's the time to sell them, uh, and I hope it works out for for everyone that got in. Yeah, and I don't think I'm in a rush to unload here. The red deck doesn't look like it's going anywhere. It's just it's strong enough to continuously compete. Doesn't look like the meta is easily adjusting. The meta doesn't have tremendous solutions to red in particular. There's not like fantastic red hate in the format <coughs> that really matters. Um, there's plenty of sweepers, um, three and four mana. But the red deck presents enough threats fast enough, consistently enough, that if you stumble, you are going to die. And that is you know, a p- pattern of play as old as the game. Mm-hmm. Um. Following that is Eldrazi Conscription out of Ultimate Masters non-foils from four to eight for a double up. Uh, part of the Storm Herald combo. Uh, Storm Herald being, uh, let me find the text here it's for a, you. It's a two and a red, three, two haste human shaman out of Theros Beyond Death. And when it enters the battlefield, you can return any number of aura cards from your graveyard to the battlefield attached to creatures you control. Exile those auras at the beginning of your next end step. If those auras would leave the battlefield, exile them instead of putting them anywhere else. So, of course, people went right to what is the craziest aura that we could possibly have in the graveyard that we could bring back and put on something. And it turns out that turning something into an Eldrazi is one of the better things you can do. Yeah, no kidding. Uh... I don't know. Like, what do you? I guess the thing is, where what do you? Where are you playing with this? See, all of these cards, a lot of these cards have the problem of. Uh, I see some sweet combos for them in modern, but I, they don't work in pioneer. And I don't think people are going to be jumping on the train to play wild new combo decks that probably aren't good enough in modern. Um, especially, especially when they don't fit into an existing strategy. An argument can be made that, for instance, in the green white Vizier of Remedies deck. You can just go ahead and jam in Heliod because it was they were already running running Walking Ballista, right? Mm-hmm. So, like that deck has a preponderance of combos at this point. I'm pretty sure they have at least three or four infinite combos in the deck um, now that Heliod's out. So, on that basis, I would assume that that deck is rejuvenated, but still modern is not really moving the needle. Where something like Storm Herald is really cute with Eldrazi Conscription, but what does the rest of that deck look like? Yeah, and it's it's such a brand new build, and it's in a format. The the brewers aren't in modern anymore. The brewers are in pioneer, right? Like nobody's excited to brew for modern. It just it's unfortunate because it's a, it is a cool combo, and I would have been ta- I would have went out and bought Eldrazi Conscription when that card was spoiled. But I'm like, ah, this isn't legal in any format I care about. Well, and it's also awkward for EDH because it's a red card, 
and the enchantment decks in EDH are not generally red. Yep. So... And it's so much more dilute there. Like your whole point with it, this this combo is not like a the type of thing that is amazing in EDH. Like, yeah, what you get to poke someone with a mediocre Aldrazi once, like, that's fine. It's not thrilling. That is, like, that will win you the game in one-on-one, but in EDH, you're doing a lot of work for very mild gains. Well, I mean, keep in mind, keep in mind, you get to take any number of auras and put them on any number of creatures you control. So it's Aldrazi Conscription plus whatever other madness you can find. But again, who's your commander in that case? Yeah, I was thinking about just Aldrazi conscription, like specifically. Yeah, but so this, even this is the kind of thing where ship it, like, for, yeah, we're both on the same page. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep, yep. All right, so next on the list, we got Sliv Mizzet the Hive Mind. This is out of the Mystery Boosters. It is one of the test cards. Uh, I don't know if we're calling them premiums or not, but I guess I suppose that they are, given that that's the only place you can ever get them is GPs playing in the Mystery Booster events um this card was showing up as being 200 dollars, but that's just like posted price the reality is it was one of the more popular uh of the test cards and so realistically speaking it's probably gone in the last week or two from 35 to 75 for like 100 percent plus gains interesting right because says that you know mystery boosters have some potential for financial interest um, also says that the staggered geographic distribution of the mystery boosters, which is really just getting started, where they're going to be available all year, um, is not weighing down uh, the cards in question. And that is a phenomenon that we've seen in the past, that if distribution is not, simulta- is not simultaneous burst, then the market has an easier time absorbing popular cards and driving prices up. Uh, um, my anticipation here is that this card and all of these will decline in price. We haven't had, we've really only had, hasn't it's been like two GPs since the major one, isn't it? Sounds, like you had the one that sounds about right. With yeah, you had like the one where they where they did the big reveal, the one the nobody went event. to. Uh, one, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Following, following that, yeah, yeah. The one that had like three hundred people in Denver or something, and then like what? Wait, maybe one, maybe two more. Like there, we haven't seen that much. So I guess I, I originally talked about how I didn't think these were particularly meaningful cards financially, and I think that by the end of twenty twenty, I will be proven mostly right. Um, but that doesn't mean that there aren't these windows where it's been several weeks, two months, people kind of want them, but the supply really hasn't kicked in yet, uh, where there's a clearly some demand for them. So this is more than I would have anticipated, but uh, I don't know, are people buying these at 80 bucks? Uh, maybe, maybe you'd have to get a vendor to tell us, but um, I don't love these really all that much. I think you're going to have trouble getting rid of them mostly. Yeah, I don't want a stack of these. Um and there's enough other things going on for formats that I fully understand and trust that I don't feel the need to be dipping into awkward cube cards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then we've got Eldrazi Conscription Foils. This is the original printing out of Return of the Eldrazi, or Rise of the Eldrazi, sorry. Um, foils going from 12 to about 30-ish. Again, like buy lists are only offering 6 to $8, um, depending on who, which one you're looking at right now on the foils. So... 
you just take what you can get here if you're holding one. I'm pretty sure I've got a foil UMA that I opened, and I will snap post that to eBay later tonight. <laughs> yeah, good luck. At whatever the lowest good price luck. is. Yep, 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 yep. Take it where you can get it. All right, next on the list. Jace Architect of Thought foils auto return the Ravnica 10 to 25, showing up in Pioneer and Modern in the blue-white decks, which have seen a resurgence since uh, since we got Oko banned. Um, so pretty good return there. Uh, let's see, how are the other additions doing though so i'm seeing the the pack foils jump to 25 it looks like the dual that copies are still like three bucks and those are foil as well that's uh the mad milkinson jace uh, uh if you're a fan of that guy um though i mean there's still 30 vendors and they're two to three bucks so if you really want jace architect of thoughts uh, there's your there's your angle uh but there would have been a lot of these printed Supply is not super deep on these. I guess I'll, I guess. I mean, there's like 20, probably, probably 30, eh, probably like 40 to 50 copies the, the that big are like problem three bucks or less. The big problem with that dual deck printing is that people might buy them, but if you're holding, they're probably super warped. Those things warp like crazy. And you can't, this is for Pioneer we're talking about, sometimes for Modern. So you need them to be competitive playable. And the, the Jace Architects of Thoughts out of the dual decks just aren't. So unless you are in a very arid climate, uh, I, I think it's going to be pack foils or bust. Um, and I don't see any possible reprint this year for this card. It's not the kind of thing they're going to print in the core set. That's all about Teferi this year. Um, it'll be like Teferi plus two new Planeswalkers you've never heard of. And... It's probably not in Commander Legends. That's gonna. There's going to be a lot going on there. It's not really a major Commander card. It's not going to show up in any Commander decks, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, I mean, there are like three listings left on TCG between 25 and 30. Those are probably buys. Like, Because these probably go to 50 or 60 before there's ever a chance of resupply. And blue-white control looks solid and like stable enough in Pioneer and relatively immune to bans and if anything was banned it would be a teferi in which case the jace is even more useful um because you need to fill in those slots to keep trucking um it could be a buy at 25 to be honest my concern is more so that i'm not convinced that it's going to hold the weight in pioneer it's fine for right now but i don't i don't really think of it as being a premier planeswalker in the format so it's not that the price is going to get crushed or anything i'm just not sure that there's going to be enough sustained play for the card to do more than just let it limp along that's my my major concern with it i think it's like i could be wrong return to ravnica is what the first set in pioneer yeah so that's the oldest set in the format if, if there's a mythic foil from the oldest set in a format, and this format's getting popular, but people have been holding it at arm's length because they wanted to wait for the bannings to pass, and it's from a deck that doesn't isn't likely to be affected by bannings, there's pretty strong... Like, you only need 20 people to agree they'll pay 50 for the card for it to get there. So, it's not, it's not like a priority spec, but... I wouldn't be. I might pull the trigger on a couple twenty-four dollar copies, especially if I can get a coupon on them. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that you 
I mean, you can buy these at 20 or 25 and I'm not saying you're going to lose money. I guess I just don't think of it as like, I feel like I wouldn't buy more than a place at that's for sure. Yeah, um, that's fine. That's I don't know. And Return Ravnica was the first set in Pioneer, but there was still a lot of damn people playing that set. I mean, an argument could be made. Aren't you still ho- holding Okos? Like Oko Foils? Uh, yeah. So am I. I found my playset today. <laughs> I also found my my non-foil borderless. Why That's... Why hold these when I can get... I think the foils are 73 or something from CK right now, and my in was about 90. Just escape with my tail between my legs. Buy a couple of Architects of Thought, and I'd probably be fine. That's that's i have i have too much pride to make any of these decisions <laughs> <laughs> but i'll tell you this much buy lists have not cut up ck is only offering like 10 bucks credit for the rtr architect of thought foils but i guess we'll see what the market does um i suspect this is not a foil people happen to have lying around this is this is a foil that's in a bunch of closets and people are not going to remember to pull them out yeah yeah, I'm not even going to argue that point. It's uh, my my core comp- my core concern here is just I don't think that there's enough demand. I think however much he's seen play right now is probably close to the peak. That's my guess. Yeah, and they could always print like for instance, we just talked about the core set this coming summer being more Teferi. So, there could easily be a four mana Teferi there. Yeah. Yeah. We have to have him at every stop on the curve. <laughs> yeah. It's a very All right. What uh, What's the next nonsense we got here? We'll wrap these up quick. Aspect of Hydrofoils from uh, Born of the Gods, 2 to $5. That's because it's showing up as a four of in mono green Pioneer decks. Seder Wayfinder Foils from Born of the Gods, uh, 2 to $6. That's uh, on the basis that it will be good for escape cards uh, in Pioneer. Um, Shielded by Faith took off out of the... Uh, signature spellbook series gideon uh foil it's the only time there's been foils of this card because it was from a commander deck um foil those foils went from a dollar to four dollars or so um look for a buy list exit there this is on the back of it comboing with siona uh, which is that cool new green white uh legendary creature um siona captain of the pileus one green, white, two, two. When she enters the battlefield, look at the top seven cards of your library. You may reveal an aura card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest of the bottom of your library in a random order. Whenever an aura you control becomes attached to a creature you control, create a one, one white human soldier creature token. So if you put Shielded by Faith on her, she basically makes infinite humans. Yeah. Yeah. So shielded by faith is probably going to see a little bit of a, a spike there hopefully the buy list will give you an exit if you're holding any i looked at them in europe the other day and just decided not to pull the trigger because it's the kind of card that can easily fall by the wayside um, and end up forgotten and then at the top of the list here we have hermit druid out of stronghold non-foils <laughs> from 7 to 30 in theory although i don't know if anybody's paying 30 for them yet um, featured on Command Zone in early December, as I pointed out, and yes, yes, the CEO of you know the god of of MTG Finance, the CEO Hasbrios, um, did call us and and tell us to buy all the Hermit Druids. So I've got this giant stack in my living room. So please buy my Hermit Druids. Yeah, uh, I am a Hermit Druid, so that's my contribution to this. Mm-hmm. 
I am the Hermit Druid. Um, all right, so a lot of Pioneer this week. Uh, but let's move on here to segment two, our cards to watch. We've got a full slate for you here uh, with a rare third pick for me. Uh, but it is highlighted in yellow <laughs> by my own doing. But why don't you get us started here, James? Sure. So my first pick this week is the Galta Primal Hunger Foils. I'm talking about the game day. Um, going from 6 to 15 seems pretty likely on a 6 to 12 month timeline because it's a 4 of in the Pioneer Mono Green deck. It's in 5,000 EDH decks. It's both a commander and included in the 99. <coughs> the game day promo has super badass art. Um, significantly better than the pack foil. Um, but you can go either way direction here because they're relatively low stock of both. Um, and I don't think it's going to take long for the market to drain them. Mono green, stompy type decks tend to appeal to a broad swath of players. And that deck, green just looks so strong in Pioneer. So I, I don't expect... Galta plays a very specific role. It's possible something in Ikoria could displace Galta. Um, it's just going to be a it's going to be a set full of gigantic monsters. Um, but for now, Galta's looking pretty good. That is, uh, interesting. And I've, I've kind of had him in my, my peripheral, peripheral, peripheral vision in the past. Um, six bucks for those foils. That's pretty solid. Uh, and I do like this card. Um, and, and I mean, for those, really, and, you can be looking at playing a 12-12 for two, which is like, you know, I, you don't want that to be your only game plan. But if it's a thing you've got going on as well as the rest of your deck, that can be really obnoxious for some strategies to deal with. There's also a promo pack foil to do, that's around five bucks, I think. Um, the one that has the little silver planeswalker symbol, but people seem low on that symbol being on their cards, and there's hardly any of those left anyway. Um, all three of the foil versions are low stock, so I think you can take your pick in the one you like best and go for it. It's been it's been printed a bunch. This is not going to get reprinted anytime soon because it's got the game day, its original printing, the promo printing from the pre-release. It was in Magic Game Night 2019. Um, and it was in this promo pack. So they have no reason to prioritize ever printing this card in the next three years. No. That Johan Bowden art, that full art is so good too. Yep. That's pretty sick. That's so pretty I think sick. I think picking up a few of those is probably gonna be you know, you might not end up playing them. I mean if this is the kind of deck you want to play in Pioneer, then just get in early and exit later when you get bored. Yeah. 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 I, that's what I like about these types of thing. These types of specs too, is it's easy to buy a, you know, a place that are to plan on playing it. And then, uh, you know, if you never get around to the deck or you decide you don't like it, you're, you're probably in good shape anyways. Um, uh, I went a different direction. I'm looking at EDH this week. Unsurprisingly, people are talking about enchantments. Uh, overall Theros has been, Less enchantment heavy than I think some of us were anticipating. Um, and we can probably touch on that a little bit more in segment four. But even if it's not really enchantment heavy, people are still going to be on that train for Commander. And we did get uh, a couple cards that are going to inspire people to make some enchantment decks. So people will be going to that well. Um, one of the key cards in virtually every 
command or EDH deck is going to be Sigil of the Empty Throne. You get to to put a 4-4 Angel into play every single time you put an enchantment into play. So this is going to generate a lot of bodies really quickly. Uh, and if you have, uh, what is it? I think it's Enchanted Evening, this just goes infinite. In fact, it might might draw the game. I don't, uh, but um, Sigil of the Empty Throne generates a lot of bodies for playing enchantments, which is exactly what you want to do. If you're playing that deck and it's hard to... Imagine building a deck without Sigil the Empty Throne. Now, it has had several printings, but that's okay. Uh, it has shown up in Commander 2018, Plane Chase Anthology, Commander 2015, Magic Origins, Plane Chase 2012, and Conflux. Uh, so that's six printings for those of you keeping track at home. Foil-wise, however, we are looking only at Conflux and Magic Origins. Uh, Conflux, Conflux is obviously very old. Uh, well, relatively speaking, and Magic Origins is still long in the tooth. It's still kind of long in the tooth itself. The foils out of Magic Origins are around a dollar fifty, so that's a pretty tempting price. Um, we're looking at uh, let me check the foil box here. Twenty total vendors. Um, you'll pay about a dollar fifty if you're buying single copies. You'll pay three bucks. There's one vendor who's got twelve of them at three dollars. Uh, you know, there's not much of a ramp, but I mean, again, we're only looking at 20 vendors, so there's not much to ramp to. Um, and then the Conflux copies, there's even fewer, even fewer foils of those on the market. So we're going to see these Theros hitting shelves mid-late January. People are going to start building Darrow or enchantment-based commander decks, and it's not going to take many people at all to start uh, to put a real drain on the last remaining supply of these sigils. They could show up in the mystery booster foil slot, but I don't, and I, I would give that like an okay chance because maybe they think it works within that limited format and also is timed well with the release of Theros, but I, I'm not too worried about that. And even if it is, it's going to be like we've talked about before, a slow release of those foils into the market. Um, which means if you find out that it's in the 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 store the foil store boosters, like you'll have time to try to ditch these before um, the supply starts to build up on those, which I don't think would be that much to begin with. I mean, I suppose Jace Architect of Thought could also show up in those boosters now that you mention it, but it would be a long shot. Um, as far as Sigil Empty Throne goes, I've taken a pretty light touch with EDH Enchantments Matter stuff so far with Theros Beyond Death because... Frankly, we have not seen an excite the exciting enchantments matters commander that I was expecting. However, at the time of our recording, Command Zone has not yet done their reveal. So I suspect they are revealing an enchantment matters commander. How good that is, we might you guys might know when you're listening to this, but we don't know right now. So I want to see that before I get too excited about all this stuff for enchantments in Commander, because I just haven't seen the cards that are going to drive people to build decks with them. Yeah, I, that's a that's a fair point. I'm 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 kind of in the same boat that we haven't seen a lo- we haven't seen something killer. That I don't think that that means it's not going to happen. It just means it's not quite as amazing as it as it could be. We've also got what three days of spoilers left too. So, I mean, if that that, that commander does something funky like whenever you play an enchantment, create a duplicate of it as a token Mm. or something crazy like that, then 
stuff like sigil foils will start to get a lot more exciting in a hurry. One of the weird things here is sigil's inventory is pretty low and has a pretty flat ramp, which generally suggests... Uh, non-foils, you mean? For foils. For foils. So there's only like 17 listings on the foils from Origins, um, yeah. which suggests like pretty low demand. Like it's not a card that's in the spotlight. If that changes because the card gets mentioned on Command Zone as one of the five or ten cards they highlight as having high synergy with the commander in question, then this suddenly could become a buy. Um, so let's see what they've got to see, say before we jump headfirst into this stuff. You've got, I mean, you've got Enigmatic Incarnation, which is real fun looking. Um, I'm just kind of looking through the pile now. you got uh, Utropia, the 3 mana 2-2. Two, two. That allows you to uh, put one ones on creatures, but like that's not really stellar. But yeah, I agree. I agree that like the the enchantment. There's clearly an enchantment theme, but none of it really seems targeted to EDH. Like it's a much. There's a lot of stuff that's enchantments, but none of it feels like it really works in that format. Well, and, <laughs> but, and a lot of the stuff we've seen so far is aura based, not static enchantment based. So yeah. Show, show me more. I need, I need more info to feel confident. It's a fair, a fair concern. No doubt. No doubt. All right. My second pick is Chandra Torch of Defiance Pack Foils at a Kaladesh. Confidence level 8. Call it 3 to 12 months to turn this around. Um, you know, I said you could probably buy $25 foil Jace Architects of Thought and maybe be all right. Um, I'm more confident in Chandra Foils and being okay. It's uh, top 15 cards in Pioneer. Anchors the red deck at the top end of the curve. Don't think it's going anywhere. It's a very powerful planeswalker that was overlooked for a while because it didn't really have a home outside of standard. But this is going to do some work in this format. And again, there's no the the only place I can think of that it might catch a reprint would be as a foil in the LGS level mystery boosters in the springtime. But you might be able to get <laughs> uh, in and out before that hits. I believe completely in your enthusiasm for this card because you picked it five episodes ago on 196. You Are picked you Foil, Chandra, Torch, of Defiant, uh, out of Kaladesh at 30 to 45. Top 30 cards in Pioneer, 5% of all red EDH decks. And since Slide that time... Lane, no easy reprint. I definitely, I definitely <laughs> did not remember that, so apologies. But it went from top 30 cards in Pioneer that week to top 15 cards in Pioneer this week. And the supply is has dwindled further. So <clears throat> what I was saying in early November was more guesswork than it is now. Um, and the pick is valid. Like th This card is going to get there. Also, I'm not talking my book up here because if I own any of these, I own like one. I think I opened one at the pre-release. And I think that's it. That's the all the genres I have. I don't have any San Diego Comic-Cons, which by the way are going for like 150 plus. So they're not competition. Um, this is just a card that I'm watching drain out of the market and have been considering pulling the trigger on. Yeah, I don't think of you picking... Of either of us picking cards that we've already talked about recently to really be that much of a strike. It's not new information, but it's sort of like validation of a decision we had made. Um, I feel a little bad because I did tell three, at least three Discord members today that I couldn't go with their pick because it was something I had picked in the last six months. <laughs> so I guess I'm a dick. 
Well, my bad, that, guys. I mean, that, that, that's your own conversation. But uh, yeah, I, I think I think you were right, right then. You're probably good now. And uh, yeah, I think it's, I think it's I, I, I know I supported it six weeks ago and it still seems like it's it's probably pretty good. Mystery boosters being the preeminent threat there. If it dodges the LGS mystery boosters as a foil, then you're well in the clear. Yeah, but I'm not that worried about that. Um, okay, so my second pick for the week is I see. I I mentioned this in one of my articles a couple of weeks ago, but I thought it was worth revisiting. Is Cavalier of Dawn. So we know Cavalier of Thorn spiked recently. Cavalier of Dawn is the white one. Cavalier of Dawn allows you to destroy a non-land permanent, and its controller gets a three-three golem. And then, so when it, so it's basically got uh, uh, Beast Within on it, except it's non-land. Uh, as opposed to Beast Within, which was just permanent, I think. Um, and when Cavalier dies, uh, you return an artifact or enchantment from your graveyard to your hand. So it will recur some great some enchantment that you've done something monkey with, or more likely an artifact. But I, my thinking here is that you're getting triple pips for Devotion. Um, and we know Heliod and the other cards tend to trigger off right around five. Uh, Heliod's five and other cards, you know, that's that's roughly what you're shooting for. Um, we've already seen the Cavalier Thorns do very well. Um, and the red one saw some play too, and the prices were kind of moving there. So there's kind of a, a precedent for the Cavaliers having what it takes to keep up in standard and for the prices moving. Heliod so far seems to be the best god now that we've taken a look. There's even a cute little interaction where you can cast Cavalier of Dawn, target your Heliod with its enter the enter the playability, and quote unquote destroy your Heliod, who is indestructible and doesn't die. But you get the three three, so you can play this as five mana for a four six and three three. That is three devotion for your Heliod, and Heliod adds one, so that's four. So you only need one other white permanent in play to have Heliod alive. Uh, so it does some cute stuff there. Basically, I just think that it's a a card that's pretty well positioned, especially with Heliod floating around. And the prices are about two fifty right now if you pick them up in the right spot. So I'm not thinking this is going to be twenty dollars or anything, although that's technically possible. But you could buy these at two fifty and look to sell play sets at five fifty ish, five to six bucks a card. Maybe you can buy list them at four dollars, four fifty store credit. Um, so I'm, I'm probably going to go look and see if I can find any play sets myself uh, in my store credit havens. Um, so this is a speculative pick, more so than some of my other choices, but I wanted to put it on everyone's radar. The Cavaliers are funny because when we did our group buy out of Europe, everybody kind of picked their own favorite and bought a, bought a brick of those. And I picked Cavalier of Night which hasn't gotten there yet. Cavalier of Thorns did. Gales isn't really getting there. The red one looks like, like, sort of maybe it might. Like, a lot of this feels kind of random. Um, they were clearly powerful cards, but it's kind of like, until the shell gets pulled together and gets tested in the crucible of the format, you never really know if you're going to get there. Like, I think a basket of these is probably going to do flat to mediocre 
and you it hindsight being 2020 will make what people think was a great pick seem more intelligent than random when maybe it's just random i guess what i'm trying to say is that the cavaliers were tough to interpret um i don't know how i feel about this one because i haven't seen the deck list for it so what I've been telling people all day as they've been jumping around in our Discord saying, what about this? What about this? With all the new stuff that's being dropped in previous season is just wait. Like, wait and see what the, the pros start dropping on the table as their advanced thoughts on lists. And if you see a mythic like this that's cheap showing up frequently, especially if it's in multiple shells instead of just one, then you can start pulling the trigger. I, I'm not in a rush to pick up things like Cavalier of Dawn. But I'd be happy to have them sitting in a shopping cart ready to go. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's a good idea is to like th- know that this is out here and this looks pretty tasty, but we don't have the proof. The proof is not in the pudding yet. Um, and keep an eye on like Sam Black and those types of guys and see what they start coming out with. Because if they key in on any of these interactions, then it's much more appealing. Arena deck list, et cetera. Um, yeah. And we'll probably have our boy Daniel Fournier on in the next couple weeks to talk Theros and he'll tell us you know, where we're wrong, where we're right. Uh, Danny F. Uh, okay, my next pick is Wayward Swordtooth Foils, which is, I think, a repeat pick from a ways back, but I can't remember if it was mine or yours, but it was many months ago, more than six. Um, this is out of Rivals over Ixalan as well. I put a confidence level at eight. It's in like 9,000 EDH decks. This was flagged right up front by people as something that was going to be a mid to long-term spec. Sure enough, here we are a couple years down the road. We're getting into that that kind of distance from original release that the foils are starting to drain out of the market. You can pick them up around 8 bucks. You're going to play them in EDH anyway, so if you're, especially if you're only picking up one or two copies, there's very little risk. Um, it could show up in that green foil commander product this summer. Don't have any specific reason that they would prioritize it, but it's possible. Um, if it doesn't, I think getting from 8 to 15 in 2020 is pretty likely. Uh, yeah, so I actually picked this in 176. And I picked it at 15 at the time. It was at 15 at the time. I liked it from 15 to 30. Uh, I talked about it in episode 200 as a uh, a loss because it peaked at $11 basically after I talked about sure. it. So it's done nothing but drop since I mentioned it uh, 20-ish weeks ago, 25 weeks ago, half a year. Um, so I liked it. I mean, basically everything you said here is true. I think it's better now than it was. This is one of those cards that I look at and I'm like, mm, I feel like this should have done better and it didn't. And I don't really have a great reason why, but I still like it as a pick. So I'm, I, I definitely like it uh more now at eight dollars than i do at 15 <laughs> uh but it is a really popular edh card that's going to keep seeing play um so i i don't, I don't have a lot of, I, I don't need to add a lot more of that right like it just, this is exactly the type of the card that edh players want to to be casting so just double check with it just let me double check where we're at with buy list support for this because that's a big part of where you're probably going to want to out it thing about edh cards is you can't sell them as fours, so you don't get to spread your shipping and time spent to to get the pack the card packaged up across as many cards. So I tend to lean on buy lists harder 
um, for this kind of stuff. It looks like pack foils, 650 credit. The pre-release foils, 950. It's very interesting. Certainly something I've noticed all the way through 2019 and I expect is going to continue into 2020 is that Card Kingdom generally is paying more on promos. Hmm. Um, they're even those ones with the silver, uh, planeswalker symbol because they just don't have access to as many of them. So there, there's usually a pretty sweet premium on them. And I think people have got, especially if you're aiming for a buy list play, don't get it twisted. Players might tell you that they like the pack foil better, but you're going to get more money on the buy list for the promos. It's definitely worth keeping an eye on buy list whenever you buy any of these cards to see how much is being offered, how close the gap is, uh, if other versions are surprisingly worth more than you would have anticipated, because that certainly happened to me before. So like even more interestingly, the the promo pack, right, has foil and non-foil. This is the with the silver planeswalker symbol on it, the ones you get at your LGS if you uh, participate in like FNM or whatever. They're paying six seventy six for the foils, but nine forty nine for the non foils. So the planeswalker stamped non foils are paying nine fifty four. Yep. Huh. Indeed, it, it could be that somebody sent in some promo pack foils, but I find it hard to believe that somebody had a stack. Maybe somebody noticed the arbitrage and you know scooped a bunch up at four dollars in Europe and sent them in. Hard to say. Um, you can, if that's the case, you can usually wait a few weeks or a month until they manage to sell those off and then see if the price rebounds because they're all like algorithm-based. Like As they sell copies, the price will float back up. Um, if they get yeah. stuck holding them, then it'll stay static. Hmm. Okay. Anyway, anyway something I've noticed a lot of is that the, the market often prices the promos lower than the pack foil, but at least with Card Kingdom, the buy list tends to be more <laughs> generous. Okay. That's good to know, because I buy list stuff. All right, so that was um, my last pick. You want to do yours? Yeah, my last one is... Uh, okay, it's it's definitely touchy, but I feel like I should at least mention it, partly because this is an old... Really, I'm mentioning this because it's an old pet card of mine that I could never figure out, and I want to talk about it, but that's Hatching Plans, the two-mana enchantment from Guild Pact. It's... Uh, one in a blue enchantment, when it's put into a graveyard, draw three cards. So you play this for two mana, it does nothing, but when you sac- when you eat it somehow, you get to draw three cards. So it's a two mana draw three, if you can get rid of it. Uh, they spoiled that card today. Uh, wait, let me get the... It was that one that I mentioned earlier. Let me pull it up again. It's the Enigmatic Incarnation. It's a four mana enchantment the beginning of your end step you can sack an enchantment and if you do search your library for a card creature with mana cost plus one and put it into play so this is basically uh evolution uh wait what is that card something evolution eldritch Eldritch evolution Evolution or biomancers familiar or whatever yeah yeah but it, it sits in it's an enchantment that sits in play and keeps doing it and it sacks your enchantments into creatures but the noteworthy connection here is that you sacrifice your hatching plans, drawing three cards, go find a creature that costs one more than two, which is Eternal Witness, put Eternal Witness in the play, get back your hatching plans, play hatching plans, 
sacrifice it to this card again. So you can get a nice little engine going there. Uh, it's technically legal and modern, but I can't fathom it's good enough. It'd mostly be EDH. But if we do see people looking to play um, Bant Enchantment decks in EDH, this could very well show up in those decks. And you're getting copies at like 30, 40 cents. Um, Non-foils, mind you. Supply isn't really that deep in any one vendor. This is guild packed we're talking about. Uh, so, you know, if you're buying at 40 to 60 cents, you're looking in the buy list at like probably a dollar 50 to $3. If you get lucky, I will highlight that my confidence on this is like a five or a six, which is lower than I ever really discuss. But I just felt like I had to point this out cause it's so cute. Um, and it is kind of tempting. It is kind of tempting. It, and I might well, have some hatching plans buried from years ago. There is a point worth making, which is that the buy list already supports you at 52 cents. Yeah, well, there you go. So it's a relatively low-risk spec. But the thing about these 50-cent specs is if you're going to buy five of them, it's not even worth your time to be thinking about it. If you're going to buy 100 of them, if you can track down 100, and you feel confident, that's a different story because then you know at least you're paying for dinner or something. But yeah. I don't like I don't like the stuff where you're paying $3 and then you spend a bunch of time worrying about whether it's going to get to 6 Like It's just not worth your time. <clears throat> and it, this is along the lines of the same cuteness as I was advancing on Twitter earlier today where I was talking about Treacherous Blessing. That's the two and a black that draws you three cards as it comes into play. Just mm -hmm. straight up draws you three cards. I think people are sleeping on that card. It feels abusable. Like three cards in black for no penalty um, is a lot. And whenever you cast a spell, you lose a life, sure. But because when it becomes the target of a spell or ability, you sacrifice it. Or you can just do something to sacrifice it. So, like, for instance, I was looking at Final Payment, which is the spell from last year. Um, the instant for white and a black. Destroy target creature. And as additional cost, you have to pay five life, sack a creature, or an enchantment. So you could Treacherous Blessing into a Final Payment in some kind of Esper Control deck and be doing pretty well. Like, Control decks drawing three cards a bunch of times is seems like a recipe for something. Um, but again, this kind of cute synergy... They require shells like in the EDH angle requires a commander and the pioneer and or standard angle requires a real shell. Agreed. Uh, These are fun, but probably not worth it. Yeah. Probably really the saving grace on hatching plans is it is from guild pact. Uh, but all other points remain relevant. Fortunately, our discord is on top of things as per usual and coughed up a whole bunch of good ideas, uh, some of which disrupted ideas uh, of my own, but that's fine. Um, you know, if they hit me before I make my list, then they control my list. Uh, but the best one this week comes from user BPM, and his uh, choice echoes my Bone Crusher Giant showcase foil pick from a few weeks back. He selected Murderous Rider. Uh, showcase foils. They're currently in and around $12 or $13. He was calling them in 6 to 12 months to hit 20 It is currently the ninth most played card in Pioneer. Mono Black isn't even remotely dead. Mono Black decks are constantly 5-0-ing and 4-1-ing leagues and doing well in tournaments, and that looks to be likely to continue for the foreseeable future. Um, it is no small thing to have both Thoughtseize and Fatal Push and Castle Lockthwain in your corner. Murderous Rider I have looked at basically every week for the last month wondering if i'm supposed to be buying these um is this supposed this is the 
showcase foil, right, that we're talking about. Yeah, that's basically the one. I, I was looking at the showcase foils and the showcase non-foils. And uh, every single week I've been like, I'm so close to wanting to buy them. Um, I haven't checked in the last week, so maybe supply is finally tipped and they're worth it. But uh, I have looked at this card every week and I have been thinking about it. So um, I like the idea at the very least. I don't think the inventory is super low yet. You're talking about 84 listings, but the ramp, yeah. is, but the ramp is relatively steep. And the demand is very, very high. And you can argue that Pioneer is not at its pinnacle of demand by any means. I think a lot of people have probably been holding it at arm's length, either because they are still desperately clinging to their expensive modern collections that got invalidated in one fell stroke, or because they are focused on Commander or other things, or they're just scared of the constant bannings that went down at the end of last year. So, you know, we have a triple... Pioneer GP coming up at the end of January. And a lot of Pioneer cards are going to sell between now and then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, we, we talked about that briefly before, that Pioneer is probably not even at 20% of its player base yet. And that stuff that doesn't seem like it's moved enough or like kind of doesn't, feels a little like, wow, well, well, I feel like this should be, you know, there should be more movement on this inventory and this price given how much it's showing up in Pioneer could be because the number of people playing the format just isn't up there yet. But once that kind of triple Pioneer GP weekend hits, we could start to see some real effort in there, uh, some real numbers. Um, and stuff like Murderous Rider could suddenly go from having, well, there's just too many copies out there for me to really want to buy into. Oh, shoot, this is down to like 20 copies. Yeah, I don't think this is a tipping point card right now. But this is a card that if you invest on the 6 to 12 month horizon, you you have no reason to hold off. There's, It's going to be played in Standard. It's going to be played in Pioneer probably all year. There's no, It's seen some play in Modern. It's probably fine in some EDH builds. It's We are moving away from peak supply. People are going to open less and less Eldraine, especially if they ban Oko in Modern. People are just going to consider those packs to be poison from a competitive angle. Um, despite them being actually a relatively deep set, <laughs> it's just a, such a feel bad if you open a like foil borderless Oko after it gets banned in modern. So, <laughs> I mean, that's going to float other key staples out of that set up. And the art on these is amazing, like way better than the pack mm-hmm. pack foils. Um, so, yeah, I, I think this is a really great pick. So BPM wins the $25 gift certificate from our sponsor, Cool Stuff, Inc. And we will segue over into the metagame week in review. A couple things going on last weekend. Uh, Star City Games hosted a Team Modern Open. I have to wonder how many more of those uh, are going to be on the docket come, say, 2021. Um, <laughs> pretty obvious that Oko is insane in the format yeah <laughs> if, we're, if we're looking at these results so it was a team format which you always have to take with a little bit of a grain of salt because i can't do they have to no they don't this isn't one of the ones where they have to play everybody has to play different cards they're allowed to overlap here so the first place team had two oko decks uh simic ramp field of the dead and then urza oko uh, so wait. just just so you guys know, there are 24 decks listed on MTG Top 8 for this event. Three, Three players per team in the Top, top eight. 8. Yeah. T- 
10 of them are named Urza Oko, and that doesn't <laughs> count the Simic Ramp, Simic Field of the Dads, which there's one, two, which are also Oko. So right off the bat, we are at 10 Oko decks without me even clicking into these other lists. Well, and I got it wrong, too. The first place team was running three separate Oko decks, so they were 12 for 12 on Okos. <laughs> One of them, one of them was an Urza Oko deck. The other was Simic Ramp Field of the Dead, and the other one was Bant Control. That's running the Ice Fang Quaddles, etc. That have been selling so well for me. Um, <laughs> but they still didn't ban Oko this week. They are such cowards. They know it's coming. Trying to trying to drag this out. They should have just ripped the Band-Aid off right up front. Because this is just silly. There's Oko all over this format. And the funny thing is, if if there was no Pioneer right now, Oko probably would have been banned already. Um, but, ha- yeah. But, yeah, yeah. but had they waited to this point, and the dominance was just setting settling in at this ridiculous level, the format would, would be really interesting for Specs, because Oko getting banned would shake the whole thing up again. Because it's so dominant, everybody's got to look at other decks again when it leaves or figure out how to reconfigure and that's going to sell a bunch of cards but in this case i just feel like this pushes people out of modern and into the waiting arms of pioneer where they've already dealt with this card it, i gotta tell you it's you know it's not like modern is some awesome looking format that people are worried about leaving because it's just so much fun to play and pioneer looks worse uh modern just looks like essentially like it's having the exact same problems pioneer did two weeks ago so why why would you still want to be playing that format there's nothing there for you and yeah they are going to ban oko and modern but like i i also i also think i made a mistake today i sent in a thousand dollar buy list to ck this afternoon and it was like a hundred percent profit and part of it was um ice fang coaddles that I picked up in the summer at like $2 to $2.40 that they were paying $4.81 on. And I sent in 30 copies, but I held back my, I think I have 12 or 14 foils that I picked up around 10 or 11. And I greedily held them back to try to sell them at full retail instead of taking the 23 credit. I think that might be a mistake because the only thing propping up Ice Fang Koala right now is Oko making use of it in Modern. And Oko escaped the ban list this week but they've also said they're going to ban whenever they want now, right? So mm-hmm. if, yep. if Oko catches it next week or the week after or the week after that, and I'm stuck holding these Ice Fan Quaddles, I guarantee you they will stop selling. So I think I need to take another look at that and probably just send in the foils. They might leave Modern a little bit longer just because they have Pioneer as the fun, fresh format, and they might think they can give Modern a little more breathing room. Um, they might react much quicker to modern if Pioneer didn't exist. But, you know, is it likely that Pioneer Modern is going to escape all of this? And, like, that, that, that modern with Ogo is going to come out the other side, having been decided it was fair and fun, and they're going to leave it alone? Almost definitely not. It's just a question of how long it takes. I would like to see it take a while so that. I can sell my stupid full art foils, but realistically, I wouldn't expect it to make it past like February and it could be as early as next week. The funny thing is pros have been commenting that this format where everybody's playing Oko is actually one of the better versions of modern and recent memory. 
because even though they're all playing Ogo, it's a highly interactive format that's very skill rewarding. Because keep in mind that Modern's gone through big segments of periods of time where it was very, like, goldfishy. Like, people were just comboing off against each other without much interaction, which was a major complaint about the format. Now you've got a format where people are forced to interact because Oko is built around interaction. And so you've got all these different interactive decks. Like, this Snow Bant control deck, if Oko was just a little bit worse and Pioneer didn't exist, I'd buy it. I'd play this deck, like... Birds of Paradise, Ice Fang Quaddle, Noble Hierarch, Spell Queller, Stoneforge Mystic, Force of Negation, Path to Exile, Arkham's Astrolab, Batterskull, Jace the Mind Sculptor, Oko Thief of Crowns, Sword of Feast of Famine, and Teferi Time Raveler. That, that is a sick deck. Uh, that's funny that you say that because that's exactly the comments that pros made during the Cobblade era. Cobblade was uh, highly skill testing. They were strategic games with a lot of back and forth, and the pros loved Cobblade Mirrors because there was so much play to them. But the general Magic playing population thought they were miserable, and that's why it went. So even if it's a, a really an objectively better format uh, for the very top, it doesn't make it fun for everybody. Well, I mean, it, it underscores that part of what drives Magic's economy and love for the game is this dream this magical Christmas land dream that you're going to uncover a deck that nobody saw coming and you're just going to take mm. down the tournament out of nowhere. And when there's a really dominant deck, this just spanks you every time you step to the table and you play it five tam- times in a row and it spanks you five times in a row. You go, ah, fuck this format. It's stupid. Oko's broken. When really your deck just sucks. But when you get to play five different decks in a format and you beat two of them and lose to three and you go two and three, you go, ah, I just got to tune it a little bit more. Going to get there next week. Like a lot of this revolves around some quirks of the human psyche. Whereas the competitive players don't really care about, don't care as much about repetitive play. They care about interactive play that feels like they feel like rewards their research, their format knowledge, their sideboarding choices, their play patterns, etc. So different kinds of people play the game, and it certainly makes it difficult for Wizards to pinpoint how to make a game that will be well-received across the board. Wanting to be the most clever person in the room uh, and you know, brewing my own decks as a result of that is essentially the tragic tale of my, I'm going to call it competitive, generously, magic career. <laughs> I feel you. I'm all I'm all about the same nonsense. The thing is like I'm fine losing, which I, I think is somewhat unique in the magic community. Like I when I take a rando deck to an event, I'm expecting to lose. I just want to see how it's going to go, and I'm fine with that. I just I'm, I I would just rather play something unknown for my own edification in terms of experiencing new things than to play something I've already watched on stream a bunch of times and I fully understand how it plays out. But not everybody feels that way. Anyway, let's switch over to Pioneer results from Magic Online, where things are significantly more interesting. Um, we've got mono black, black decks still showing very similar composition to last week. Spawn of Mayhem, Scrap Heap Scroungers, Thought Seizes, Castle Lockdwains, Urborgs, Mutavolts, etc. Um, you got the red deck that's driving both Chandra Torch Defiance, they run three copies, and your Gobl- Goblin Rabble Masters, they run four, and my Bonecrusher Giants, they also run four. This deck looks very solid. 
the more red pieces, every time they put out a set, there's going to be a couple more red pieces that they can, that will tweak or slot in here and make this a little better. And this is going to be, I think, one of the uh, pace cars for the format. For at least a little while, for sure. Um, you know, Bone Crusher Giant being essentially the best removal spell is definitely a component of that. And then Rebel Master is very solid. Um, Glorybringer seems fine enough for the time being. So I think I think that's exactly correct, is that Red is going to be hanging around for at least a while longer. It, um, it'll just matter. I could see a day where Red essentially falls out of Pioneer, but they would have to print uh, too few... I think the midweight red decks are going to slowly die. Um, you know, Magic's card pools over the last several years have kind of shown that m- midweight red decks tend to there are flashes in the pan, but the older the format, the the better the other colors do with that job. Um, their role red decks typically lean more and more towards burn. Um, and I mean, legacy is a pretty clear example where like every card in your deck is lightning bolt or better. Yeah. Uh, and that's all they want to do. Um, so eventually the decks will shift in that direction most likely, but that could take a year or more to get there. So in the meantime, these decks are going to keep showing up. And even if, you know, bone crusher giant eventually gets pushed to the side because we've gotten enough sets and enough good <coughs> removal is showing up. Uh, there's still probably going to be some room for these mid mid range red cards. Yep. There's a four, one list here that is mono green burning tree emissaries, eight elves got four Galta four love struck beast. That was uh, somebody's suggestion in the discord for pick of the week that uh, mm-hmm. I think will end up on our list sooner or later. Two Ronus the Indomitable might be worth looking at the Expedition, the uh, Invocation versions. It actually has really great art, although I think the green on that frame looks atrocious. Um, they're running four Surak the Hunt Collar out of, uh, I think it's Dragons of Tarkir. Um, mm-hmm. Three Surfer and the Hengehammer, two Yorvo, Lord, and Garenbrig. All of those cards might get there down the road. Uh, worth keeping an eye on the the relevant foils in this deck. Uh, probably prioritizing an order of when was the last time the foil was printed. Yeah, I mean, you look at even setting age of some of these cards aside. You look at something like Surak the Hunt Collar, and you're like, probably not, right? Like this is probably not going to be here a year from now. Like even if this is the oldest foil in this pile, which I think it is, it's still like. This is probably just a holdover, and mm, I was gonna say is supposed to possibly supposed to be a questing beast. Like maybe that's just what that card's supposed to be. I'm not sure, but uh, I don't know. If you've been playing as long as I have, you kind of look at these and you you kind of wonder. Like you you can identify like which of these are the ones that are probably just going to fall away as they get kind of replaced, and which ones seem like they do more work for the deck. The thing is that this deck is running. Like a minimum of 18 creatures that can be meet Surox requirement. So mm-hmm. that's where that's all coming from. The Oh, I get it. Like I get how they get there, but may, may, <laughs> I, I don't I don't believe but it. But maybe Questing Beast is supposed to be split given that Surox is a legendary. Uh. Anyway, moving along, there's also a, a pretty cool Kethis Mox Amber list. Nine rando planeswalkers. Um Pretty much all the all the ones you might imagine: Teferi, Time Raveler, Vraska, Golgari Queen, Liliana, the Last Hope, Kaya, Orzava, Serper, and then 
four Diligent Excavator, three Emery, three Fibblethip, four Gilded Goose, four Hope of Giraper, four Kethis the Hidden Hand, three Lezav the Multifarious. That was all a mouthful. Four Mox Amber and two Oath of Kaya. That looks like a fun deck. That is a, a lot of weird, a lot, a lot of pieces that when you look at on paper are confusing. Oh, that's for sure. I do notice, by the way, Gilded Goose with no Oko. Yeah, uh, that's true. That's true. I, 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 assuming that's because it is essentially a Birds of Paradise that can also temporarily make your Emery cheaper. It's possible there's something else going on here, too, that I don't see. I don't know for sure. I'd have to spend more time looking at every single card in here to see if there was another synergy. But that's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, got a pile of, I've got a pile of Kethys. I, I feel very... And some Mox Ambers built up. Um, <laughs> I've got some Extended Art Gilded Gooses. And probably some foil Hopagirpers stashed away somewhere. This this deck is going to get there. It's just going to continue to get better. None of this shell is going to go anywhere. It's doing a bunch of powerful things. I wouldn't be surprised to see it on the go forward. Arclight Phoenix decks still posting up as expected. We've got that new Ox to talk about in segment four that might make this deck better. Um, Blue-white control looking very much as it has been. Nothing really new or exciting there. The Teferi, Jace, Narset package. All the various instants and sorcery, Supreme Verdicts, Castle, Art and Veil, Inventress, etc. More red decks. The deck that's running for World Breaker, which is Ugin the Spirit Dragon, for Nissa's Pilgrimage, which I think you talked about recently. Um, Arboreal Grazers, Cavalier of Thorns, uh, Elvish Rejuvenator, Gilded Goose, Oblivion Sower, Ulamog, and Walking Ballista. This is like... A poor man's Tron deck. Yep, exactly what it is. Although they do have, um, they do have uh, Walking Ballista in there, so I wonder if they might end up trying to merge Heliod in. Seems unlikely, but it's on the table. I love that Oblivion Sour, by the way. Oh, I liked Oblivion Sour so much when that came out. Sour. I can't believe yeah. it never made it. Would love to see that do some work. I don't. I don't think I have any left of those either. Also, Maybe see that the the vampire version of Mono Black hasn't gone anywhere. When when what got banned from Mono Black again? Uh, Smuggler's Copter. Thank you. So Smuggler's Copter got banned. We were like, well, is it going to be the vampires or the other or something else or neither of the above? And it turns out both are just fine. <laughs> that Copter didn't kill either version of the deck, and both of them still continue to put up results. It has definitely lost ground from where it was. There's no question there. But uh, yeah, mono black variants are still certainly in the format and getting things done. Um, so it was not the it was not the death of that archetype by any stretch. I'll tell you what I'm really loving: my bricks of cheap castles, like one dollar mm. castle Garen Briggs and castle Lockthwains acquired early on. Um, I think are going to be very very good. Like. You can already out Lockthwain at 260 credit, and I am full on greeting that for at least another six to 12 months. Like, <coughs> these are going to be $10 plus cards. Uh, yeah, you're going to be. It's going to take you a little while to get there, but I agree that the outlook for those is uh, rosy. Definitely rosy. Yep. Um, all right, so. 
that can probably wrap up uh, segment three here. Let's move on and spend a little bit of time talking about Pharaoh spoilers this week. You want to hit me with a couple cards that caught your eye? Well, that enigmatic incarnation is certainly fun, um, although probably not good enough. I will say I'll start out on a more sour note that I think Calyx is pretty garbage. This is the green-white planeswalker. His plus one is impulse, but only for enchantments. His minus three is exile, a creature enchantment, but only until... Yeah, he just banishing lights, essentially. You pick the enchantment in play that becomes banishing light, but it is banishing light. And then even his ultimate is pretty mediocre. Um, I, I Honestly, I don't... You would have to have such a high density. Ultimately, the issue here is you have to have a, a real density of enchantments to make Calyx fine. And like, if you are playing a like I don't know twenty enchantment deck, then Calyx is a completely serviceable planeswalker. But it's only in that narrow scenario, so he's not just going to hot swap in between decks in the way that other planeswalkers do. So definitely not a fan here. Um, I, I'm staying away. The only way he could possibly have any real financial implications is if it turns out that there's some green, white, or bant enchantment deck that's just Looney Tunes good. Yeah, I, I mostly agree. Like, it's entirely possible there ends up a deck for him in standard. Like, we're just not seeing the inter- the synergies. But he's a he's a definitely a medium planeswalker. And and honestly, I'm not complaining because I, I magic needs to take a break. <laughs> on printing busted planeswalkers or it's going to continue to cause problems um Uh, i i think that's actually a fair point and that's this is realistically probably a healthier way to design planeswalkers where he certainly supports a strategy there's a synergy there but um and he's great he's he's solid to great in that build but he isn't just going to land in every deck that makes green and white mana uh which is a little more reasonable way of these for, for these cards to be making their way into standard decks. I, I still think Elspeth has the most potential of the three. Um, there's no Oko in this set, as far as I can tell. Um, well, <laughs> no, we didn't think there was an Oko in Eldraine either. True. Absolutely true. Um, if it, All if, of if us, it, not if just it, you. If it's any of them, it's Elspeth. Um, yes, I agree with that. Um, but her escape cost is pretty high. But it's only four cards, but it's six mana. So I suspect she's, if anywhere, she's either in at the top end of a white aggro deck, or she's at a one or a two of in a Esper Control type build. Neither of which suggests to me that she's going to be an Oko. Um, I, I could see Elspeth getting some solid traction. I could see her as the top end of aggressive decks. I could see her as a, as a role player in like more mid-range strategies i could see her in a couple control builds i could definitely see elspeth around i don't think the escape clause the 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 hard part on escape isn't going to be the mana isn't going to be this the mana it's going to be the, the the escaping essentially the cards in your graveyard because by the you know if you're casting elspeth on four by the time you're interested in escaping her it's at least turn five or six possibly later and so you should have the mana available uh the hard part could be if your graveyard is getting taxed. Um, and I just want to speak to that very quickly because I saw some people comment that there was so much good hate here, like good, good graveyard hate and what have you, that the escape costs were going to be really hard. And I, I think it's worth pointing out that when you have something like escape, you have a mechanic that 
functions on some axi access. You wizards prints hate cards now for cards along that axis, but that they're typically not good enough to suppress those out of to, to keep those out of the format. The hate cards can do a good job of suppressing the strategy to keep them from overrunning a format, but they're not going to remove it from the format entirely because if, for instance, escape is like mediocre, like a couple cards use it, but it's not a huge deal. Nobody's bothering the play with the hate cards. Um, and it's not until escape gets really good that the hate cards start to show up and push back on escape. But I mean, if graveyard strategies have taught us anything, it's that uh, even solid graveyard hate is typically not enough to get them out of the format entirely. So it's like you you can always play the escape cards but you can't always play the hate cards. You can only play the hate cards if the escape cards are good. So like it's easier for the escape cards to make it into the format. I just want to keep the people to keep in mind that just because you've seen some good graveyard hate, it doesn't mean that escape is... Is dead in the water. Already. Is, yeah, it's dead on arrival. Well, and the other thing is that there's a big difference between the... Um, the artifact that they revealed, whose name escapes me, the one mana artifact that deals with the graveyard, and a scavenging ooze. Uh, if you have a creature that, or a permanent that you can run main deck happily, and it has the side effect of wrecking graveyard strategies, then it is going to be much more influential in the format than a sideboard card that you bring in against the escape decks. <clears throat> that card will be useful, but they will their sideboard will be transformative to push them away from graveyard strategies in that case. That's typically how that rolls out. <clears throat> so... The, the only one that really caught my eye as something that could hold them back was that tricolor hound, right? The... Two-color, black-white, isn't it? Kunoros, Hound of Athreos. One white, black, yeah. So two-color. 3-3, three, three, Vigilance, Menace, Lifelink. I mean, that's pushed. Creature cards mm-hmm. and graveyards can't enter the battlefield. Players can't cast spells from graveyards. So that clearly fulfills a rule. Um... Whether or not the format's going to need it has yet to be seen. I think you're completely right that the incidental hate is much more damaging than the direct hate. Because if you have a card, like you said, like Scavenger News, it's just good in the format regardless. That just also happens to, to poop on a strategy. That's really rough. But if you like you said, if the players have to go out of their way to hate the strategy, that's much better. Um, that Hound also, I agree, is is clearly is essentially the black-white questing beast. It would be questing beast if they had to write the descriptions for those keywords out. Um, is all If that card ends up being good enough as it is, that's the type of card that could make escape bad. But at the end of the day, I still think Elspeth is my pick for most likely busted card in the set. Mm, I don't agree with that. <clears throat> if I was going to pick the really? top... No. If I was going to pick the top five mythics in the set so far, in terms of things that I think may keep... It, like, hit a high price point early and have a potential to hold it through peak supply... Um, or decline less than their counterparts. <coughs> I'd be talking about Heliod Suncrowned, because if that combo is real in both Pioneers, uh, Pioneer and Modern, then that could certainly drive the truck. Elspeth Sun's Nemesis would be on the list. Ox of Agonas uh, is up there, because that escape clause, uh, when it enters the battlefield, discard your hand, then draw three cards, is exactly what Phoenix decks want to be doing. So if it ends up being a mythic that the Phoenix decks want four of, that could be a thing. 
Um, and then the two the two elder giants. And by the way, elder giants is cool. I wish I had thought of that. Um, the one we already talked about uh, is Uro, Titan of Nature's Wrath, whose name I apparently will continue to get wrong. And then Croxa, Titan of Death's Hunger, because that guy, uh, when he enters the battlefield, you sacrifice it unless it escaped. But when he enters the battlefield or attacks, each opponent discards a card. Then each opponent who didn't discard a non-land card this way loses three life. So, and then his escape is double black, double red, exile five cards. So relatively moderate escape cost. Um, Both of those guys seem like they're going to do some serious work. Well, I want to specify that... uh... Yeah, the, the, so those two have the same escape cost order, or Uwu, Uwu and Kraxa. Um, that when I said Elspeth is my pick for like most busted or, or most Oko, it's that it's the card which is the most undervalued relative to how good I think it could be. I think Elspeth is very good at that rate. Uro is nuts and is my pick for probably the best card in this set. And like generally, you know, across the magic sphere of people building constructed sleeved decks and playing edh oro might be the highest card like that card is just bonkers but people know it already right like everyone's going in knowing that card which is why i think elspeth has a little bit more of a for despite being the banner planeswalker of the set is a little more under the radar than like Uro will be. I mean, if we're talking about highest potential power level and we're now including rares instead of mythics, Underworld Breach has to be in the conversation. The new Yawgmoth's will. One in a red for the enchantment. Each non-land card in your graveyard has escape. The escape cost is equal to the card's mana cost plus exile three other cards from your graveyard. At the beginning of the end step, sacrifice Underworld Breach. It's basically a sorcery, but you can get enchantment-based benefit out of it as well from entering and leaving play. <coughs> I don't think anybody knows exactly how this is going to get busted, and it could be in older formats, so it might matter less financially in newer formats than older. But <clears throat> this card just has that... Any of us that played in Urza's block era know that this kind of effect is insane if it gets rolling. Well, it sounds like I'm making this up as I go along. Underworld Breach is also, I think, a fascinating um, card. They've never tried to print a fixed Yawgmoth's Will. They've printed a lot of fixed effects. They've fit, printed God knows how many fixed, quote-unquote, Dark Confidants. They've done Ancestral Recall. They've done Wheel of Fate, Re- Re- Restore Balance. They've done various versions of Lotus, right? Like all these famous cards they keep redoing this is the first yagmas will and it will be and they they came out swinging with this one um so that could very well be quite potent uh, i guess my thought is it's not a mythic which makes it harder to explode like like the thing is i could see elspeth ending up at like eight bucks and then people realize she's really good and she's 35 whereas underworld breach like i don't know maybe you go from like 75 cents or a dollar to like four bucks uh because this card as a rare in the fall in the current set would have to be a four of in like standard plus like pioneer or like plus something else right like i feel like you have to do a lot more work to see some real good returns on underworld breach Breach being a, um, although I think the card is quite powerful. Breach being a rare makes me want to leave it alone for now. Yeah, it's kind of like Breach was a mythic. It's mm. got like a fires of invention type feel to it, where fires was was under 
overwhelming at first and it got real cheap. If I see a brick of Underworld Breach, I'm going to be looking at like a two-year horizon to hold them. And if I get lucky sooner, great. Um, also looking at Clothis, God of Destiny. I think that's a solid EDH card long-term. That's the god that's one red-green, indestructible, of course. Devotion is at seven, and it's a four or five. But at the beginning of your pre-combat main phase, you exile target card from a graveyard. So it kind of picks away at graveyards, which is weird for a red-green card. Um, if it was a land card, add a red or a green. Otherwise, you gain two life and Clothis deals two damage to each opponent. So you get to choose to ramp. You get to choose from either color. <clears throat> so it's basically a functional mana rock for three. Um, or you can start doing gaining two life and doing two damage to all of your opponents every turn. I Clothis is interesting. Uh, it feels... Like, it might be a little slow for standard. If you assume you're playing something roughly equivalent to Seder Wayfinder on two, you're then taking turn three to do pretty much nothing. Um, and then turn, because there's no way Clothis is on, so then turn four, you might hit a land. Like, you might get to ramp from three to five if your turn two put a land in the graveyard somehow. Um, if it didn't, you're getting a two-point damage swing. But your opponent, like, has been doing relevant things for the last four turns. Uh, I could see Clothis seems like it's most likely to end up as, like, a one or two of in maybe some mid-range green-red standard strategies. But I'm not really blown away by it. I wanted to see this at, like, maybe two mana and as, like, a two-three or a three-two or something. It's entirely um, possible that you're just supposed to steer clear of this entirely and let it drop through the floor. Yeah. It's a nifty design. It just feels like it's at an awkward spot that's a little slow and like the support for standard isn't quite there. Although didn't they didn't they just spoil our fetch lands in this set? Fetch lands are in this set, aren't they? No, 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 no. That was that was that stupid joke account that caught me last time. Oh, was that I, I like? Okay, that, that guy is uh, trolling the shit out of the magic community. Every single Carrie, right? every single time he posts something, somebody posts it in our Discord, <laughs> and then gets wrecked. He's good. <clears throat> oh, because I remember seeing the card, but it it wasn't from him. No, it's uh, and then now that you mentioned, it, I haven't seen it since, so that must have been what it is. Okay, so it's not now. Yeah, I just don't think Lothus has the setup necessary to. So to be super an, relevant. another card I like longer term, Nyx Lotus, is that four mana legendary artifact aimed square at the heart of EDH, enters the battlefield tapped, and then you choose a color, add amount of mana of that color equal to your devotion to that color. So in monocolored decks, that's just a shoe-in. And the foils are going to look real nice. It's got the word Lotus in it. Give this a couple years, those foils will be money. Yeah, this is uh, this represents an interesting one because I think your initial buy-in can probably get quite low um, because this isn't like super busted, but plenty of decks will be inclined to play it. I actually think four is four mana and tapped is kind of hefty for this. I feel like, you know, if you're playing a mono color EDH deck, yeah, you're probably getting pretty good devotion, but it all, like if there's a board wipe or something, it might be tapping for zero mana. So it doesn't really help you get back into things if they're, if, you know, the game goes poorly. This could end up being a little too cute, but, frankly. But what if it's like, you know, you're building around Sigil of the Empty Throne, like you're building white enchantments or whatever. 
like you're you're building yeah. building pillow fort, then this thing's gonna do a lot of work. Oh yeah, I mean it's nuts. There, it's basically essentially Gaia's cradle, tap, yeah, like a version of Gaia's exactly. cradle. It's basically Sarah's. But, like it's a much more narrow one. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I like Perforos bronze blooded for the long term. I'm hoping it goes nowhere in the short term, and then in Ikoria we get a bunch of ridiculously big creatures that you get to drop into play with Perforos. Because he's got the uh, that he's got the two red. You may put a red creature, red creatures only, or artifact creatures from your hand onto the battlefield. Not colorless artifact, mind you, so you don't get to fool around with Eldrazi. Sacrifice it at the beginning of the next end step. Yes, uh, this is the the fixed sneak attack. Yeah, as it were, and, and he's also uh, a seven six on the attack, and and the monocolored gods only require five devotion. So, and other creatures you control have haste. This this card and the art's great. So, giving everybody haste is is real good. That tends to be a little better than people anticipate. I think the art's mediocre. I think the old one's better, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, the sneak attack definitely feels like a plant for a Coria because it doesn't do that much right now. The question is, what will it do? in the uh summer uh, this spring so i'm with you that like the hope is that this just bottoms out and we can grab these for like two or three bucks and then they're printing some like 14 cost red creature you know 14 cost creatures and suddenly perforos has all sorts of fun targets um yeah yeah i like so that. i guess to wrap up the the other you know, we'll talk more about this stuff next week but dryad of elysian grove is the probably the most busted rare in the set. It's my pick for the closest thing to an Emery. Two and a green for an enchantment creature nymph. You may play an additional land on each of your turns. Hence what got me thinking about Wayward Swordtooth this week. And lands you control have all basic land ty- types in addition to other types. <laughs> That's gross. This card, yeah, is very legitimate. Um, it's Prismatic Omen for one more mana and it's a creature um, exploration it's a two for the card that lets you pay, pay uh, two lands a turn yes yep it is exploration and prismatic omen yeah for three three mana yeah that's like that's definitely a a hard include in many many edh decks yeah um and also easier to recur as a creature for what it matters um probably viable in eternal formats i don't know exactly which ones yet uh but i could see this working in both modern and edh or modern and pioneer really uh it just seems like it's so good you know what's funny about this too by the way it was spoiled in japan which is not an edh community yeah, That's they, they, they clearly think that this is going to be played at least in standard, and I could easily see this ending up in Pioneer. It's got a Corsair yeah, of Krufix, that, that, Corsair of Krufix type feel to it. Yeah, the, like, the thing is, three mana for a 2-4 that lets you play an additional land every turn is already probably fine. Like, Corsair Krufix was three mana for a 2-4 that uh, you could play lands off the top of your deck let me just double check you don't you didn't get to play an additional 
land a return, but you could play a land off the top of your library. So and and keep the one in your hand for next turn, and you gained a life every time the card came in the uh, land came into play. But this a slightly worse mana cost because it's one in double green instead of two in a green. Same stats, it's two four. I would argue that this new guy play an additional land every turn but doesn't draw you a card whereas courser might draw you a card but doesn't let you put two lands in the play and also gains an extra life he's got eh, that's kind of a wash but i mean courser crufix is a very good comparison um, and if there's any relevancy whatsoever to the prismatic component of this creature he could be a real standard staple on top of being way more relevant in uh, both eternal formats and commander than courser crufix ever has been yep all right, we can probably call that mostly a wrap. I do have one other thing I wanted to bring up. Um, I posted a, a tweet earlier this week uh, on Twitter, obviously, um, pointing out that, you know, we've been doing this. How many years have you been doing MG Finance? Eight, seven years or something? Uh, I've been writing for this site for something like that, six or seven years. And I've been doing quote-unquote MTG Finance since probably Zen, uh, Zendikar. Yeah, and I've been... I was going to say since at, Zencaster. <laughs> I've been at it about... I want to say six years now. So, I mean, in that, all that time, I can't think of a single female MTG finance writer for any site or content producer in general. There have been some women that have appeared. I can think of some great employees of various vendors, um, but nobody that's really pushing content. So... And, and our rec- the track record for this niche in terms of minorities participating is also not fantastic. So uh, MDG Price is committed to attempting to do our best to change that this year. We are looking for new voices. And the caveat is it doesn't matter whether you have previous MGG Finance experience. If you're looking to uh, work with our team to build up your knowledge and then start creating content. We are looking to make that happen. Call it a paid internship, if you will. Um, so if that sounds like something you might be interested in and you feel like you are an underrepresented minority of some sort, somebody like hit me up from South America, just saying like South American magic players need a bigger voice. And I was like, yeah, well, that kind of makes sense too. Um, so we're not diehard about exactly who you are, but we know that we want to add some diversity to our voices. Um, so reach out to me, hit me up on Twitter at MDG critic, and, uh, we can chat. I'm talking to a bunch of people already, but I'd love to hear from some more people and we will, you know, try to build out the team this year and help advance the cause. Yeah. I'd love to see that. Um, you know, I've been paying attention to a Seen a lot of people write, and I have ne- you got me thinking about it. I don't think I've ever seen a consistent, at least female writer, on the topic. Um, definitely full of white men. So would like to see that change a little bit. Yep. All right. So that's a wrap for this week. Where can people find you online, Travis? Uh, I am on Twitter at wizardbumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N, and I write uh, every Monday doing the Watchtower series for MTG Price. You guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my weekly articles at mtgprice.com. I'm also haunting our Discord on a regular basis, and I would like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service. For just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year, you can get early access to this podcast, 
fantastic articles by the best MGT finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is probably sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, uh, including the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. That puts in the books episode 201. Um, not technically the beginning of year five yet, but very close. Uh Always a good time. Looking forward to another successful year. Um, and I will see you next week, James. Uh, I'll catch you tomorrow, actually, as we talk to Drew Levin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, thank you, Travis. And we'll see you guys next week and in the interim episode for more MTG Fast Finance. <laughs>